0: for you to feel like you belong even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How we doing? Merry Christmas. For the first time um, in forever it's not 82 and humid so it actually feels like Christmas which is awesome. Uh, So here's a question for you and I already know the answer but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever been uh, disappointed by a gift at Christmas? Or just disappointed at Christmas in general. So, like, for some of you heading into tomorrow, like, there's huge expectations that's going to completely underdeliver for you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Like, that's just, just a part of life. Um, the story I always think about, though, is my wife and I have first year of marriage and, you know, no kids yet. And it's Christmas morning. I have her gift. And I, I'm feeling pretty good about myself and it's only in retrospect where I realize how naive and stupid I was. But I was giving her a gift and she starts to open it. And have you ever had those moments where like they're mid, you know, package unwrapping, and you just recognize this was not a winner. And they're gonna try to be gracious. So as graciously as she could, I think she's trying to figure out what to say, she fully unwraps this thing and she just looks at me and she's just like, a lamp? Like a lamp? And I thought, like, yeah, it's a a nice—this is not like the Christmas story leg lamp. It's a nice, like, what's wrong with you? But it was not what she was expecting first year of marriage. Now, here's the thing I would say, though, side note, is we're more than a decade into this thing. We're four kids later, fully domesticated. My wife would take a lamp all day long for Christmas, but not first year of marriage. And then the other part of it is if you have kids where you get your kids a gift— and it's a big deal, and you're kind of more excited about it than they are, and so you can't wait. That parent thing where it's like it really is fun to get your kid stuff and then see your reaction, but you get them something you're really looking forward to, and then they don't give you the reaction that you want at all. So it's like you're highly anticipated. They open it up, and they're like, oh, thanks. Throw it off to the side next present. You're like, no, no, no. With what I paid for that, I need more from you, right? So there's all of that, but the reality is, like, it doesn't always meet expectations. There's parts of it that can disappoint us. And that's just life. And there's a part of that, and this is not a stretch at all, that really sets up the Christmas story. It is a Christmas story. And maybe you know a lot of this. Here's the thing I kind of love about this is whether you've been away for a decade, probably for good reasons, there's so much of this that you know. Like an angel shows up to Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they are way too old to have kids. And in fact, in that culture, if you were at their age and didn't have a kid, they thought, well, the gods are cursing you, like God's paying you back for something. That's just how they thought in their culture. And so an angel shows up, no, 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 actually, you're going to have a kid, and you're going to name him John. He's actually going to be the forerunner for the Messiah that's been long awaited for decades, in fact, even hundreds of years. And yet it was, it was kind of unbelievable. Like there's so much around it where it's just hard to really think that it's true, and yet there's part of it that is believable. Because then Jesus would show up and he would constantly be drawn in the direction of people who thought they were cursed by God or that God was trying to pay them back or God would want nothing to do with them. And then you know that the next part of the story, an angel shows up to Mary and Mary's a 14-year-old maid And she's married to no-name Joseph in Nazareth. who's making furniture. And like I always say this, but it's true. Like nothing that Joseph made survived the first century. Like first century, you know, equivalent of Ikea furniture. Like nothing lasted. We don't know how good he was at his craft, but we don't know anything more than just a no-name carpenter. And Mary's a 14-year-old girl. An angel shows up to them, like with that context, and says, you found favor with God. And Mary thinks, I'm 14. I haven't had... Time to find favor with God. I've barely lived enough life. And the whole thing, if you're honest, is a little bit unbelievable. And yet there's a part of it that is believable because then Jesus shows up. And Jesus is constantly moved to grant and bestow favor on people who did not earn that favor. And then, and you know this part of the story, then an angel shows up to shepherds, and they're actually the first to hear the pronouncement that this long-awaited king, this savior, this messiah, has now touched down on planet earth. And I don't know how significant you know this, but it's so significant because this wasn't the cultural elites, this wasn't even the middle class, they were shepherds. And in that culture, shepherds handled dead animals as part of how they made a living. And so in their ceremonial religious system, they couldn't go to the temple, And so shepherds basically had the attitude, well, we're never going to be in with God anyway. Nobody will ever invite us to the temple. So who cares? They just stopped trying. And so they were on way the outside of the religious system and culture. And so angels show up. And if you're a shepherd, you think if an angel shows up to me or if God's speaking through somebody, it's not going to go well for me. And yet the angel shows up to the shepherds first and says, a Messiah has come, and we want you to know about it first. And the whole thing is a little bit, maybe a lot, unbelievable. And yet there's a part of it that is believable because then Jesus would show up, and Jesus would grow up, and he would constantly be moved in the direction of outcasts and outsiders and people who felt like if God showed up, it wasn't going to go well for them, and he flipped the tables of religious leaders. But here's the thing, and I'll just say what some of you think, because I get this. As you get older, it becomes even more unbelievable, and we tend to grow even more cynical, and we have a lot more questions. In fact, our little kids' Sunday school questions grow into adult questions, and suddenly what was unbelievable now is just kind of out of reach, and we become really cynical, and the whole thing becomes fairy tale and fable, and if I can just kind of make fun of it for a second, we see the cartoons and the Sunday school version of this, and it's You know, white Middle Eastern Jesus, which is kind of like Bigfoot riding a unicorn over a rainbow, like doesn't really exist. And we have all these ideas that it was a silent night. It wasn't. Mary had a baby without an epidural, in a stable, with animals. But we, come on, isn't this true? We airbrush it. We cartoon it. We make it as less than realistic. And in kind of in our adult intellectual brains, we kind of arrive at the conclusion, it's nothing more than a fairy tale. It's nothing more than a fable, and maybe for good reason. And then the most familiar writer of the story of, the, of, of Christmas, the Christmas narrative, a guy by the name of Luke, steps into all of that and just kind of bypasses all of that to go, no, 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 actually, I carefully investigated this whole thing from the beginning. I interviewed eyewitnesses. He was one of the rare, highly educated people in the first century. And so Luke steps into all of it and he doesn't begin his document within a land far, far away. It doesn't sound like fable. In fact, he does something that fable never does. He anchors it to history. And Luke basically asks this question. With all of your doubts and with all of the the weirdness that you've heard around the Christmas story, the fact that it's been kind of made into a cartoon and it feels a little fairy tale, with all of that in mind, The question that you have to ask is just this, and you owe it to yourself. What if it's true? What if it's true? What if God has done something unique in history? And here's how Luke begins these really familiar verses in Luke 1, verse 3. He says, Therefore, I myself have carefully investigated all of this from the beginning, and it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, who was a really wealthy man in the first century, and basically, Luke stops to go, I get it's crazy, but I'm just telling you, I've got to document this thing. I interviewed eyewitnesses, and if I didn't document it, nobody would believe it. And in Luke chapter, two, two, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And, and again, Luke would say, and I'm telling you about eyewitness accounts, eyewitnesses who are still alive at the writing of this document. And then he says, and then listen, again, he does something that fable, that fairy tale, they never do. He anchors this to history, and he says this in Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, really familiar verses, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. And just a real quick side note, I don't know how this happened, But somewhere along the way, God did something that nobody expected because Mary and Joseph were actually in Nazareth. And yet all of the prophets foretold the fact that this baby or this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem or specifically Bethlehem Ephrata. But they're a hundred miles away from that location. There's no way that this couple in Nazareth is going to end up in Bethlehem. And yet somehow God whispers into the ear, of the most powerful man in the world. And he issues a decree that would take Mary and Joseph from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem, 100 miles away. And Caesar Augustus has no idea. But he begins to orchestrate this Christmas narrative in ways that he could never understand or never know. And here's the thing that's just an interesting side note. Caesar Augustus was considered the son of a god. Because his, maybe you know this, his adopted father was Julius Caesar, and so they attributed divinity to Julius Caesar, divine Julius Caesar. So they believed that Caesar Augustus, basically the leader of the world as they knew it, Caesar Augustus was the son of a God. And so there you had the son of a God, 1,500 miles away, unknowingly orchestrating the birth of the son of God in Bethlehem, just as the prophets foretold. And 2,000 years later, Caesar Augustus imagined that his name would be heralded all over the world, that people would know him in history, and he was right. 2,000 years later, many people all over the globe know the name Caesar Augustus, but the only way we know the name Caesar Augustus is when the story of a Jewish carpenter out of no name Nazareth, when that story is told, Caesar Augustus is a footnote to that story, the story of the savior of the world. And so, Mary and Joseph, Luke 2, verse 6, they go to register. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then shepherds who were out in their fields, who lived nearby, were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And again, a very familiar verse, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And this is the understatement of the year. And they were terrified. Like if an angel shows up to you, number one, even if morally you feel like you're on point, you're terrified. If you're a shepherd in the first century and God shows up to speak to you or God shows up to speak to you through an angel, you are doubly terrified. Because again, in their minds, we're not religious people. We're way on the outside. Generally shepherds, I mean, again, they're marginalized. If God shows up, it is not gonna go well for this group of people, and so the moment an angel starts to talk to them about God, shepherds think, this is not good for us. And yet the angel said to the shepherds, this is so significant, do not be afraid because I bring you not 13 more things, not if you meet this standard, not another religious system, not maybe the things that you grew up trying to meet and measure up to and you could never do it and so you just walked away. That is not the message of Christmas, that is not the message of the movement of Jesus. Good news by definition is informing you about what has already happened. And in this moment, good news has arrived. Not good advice that you need to clean up your life and measure up because that's not possible. Instead, the shepherds are informed by the angels that God has come to offer good news to all people. That today, in the town of David, a rescuer, a savior, has been born to you, born to people like Zachariah and Elizabeth, or people who relate to their story, who look at their circumstance and think, think maybe God's trying to pay me back, maybe God is angry, maybe God is apathetic, And, and here is the evidence by what I'm walking through, and he came for people like Mary. Who has, haven't even had a shot to do enough to ever earn God's favor if there is a God. And he came for people like shepherds, people who knew they were on the outside, people who didn't feel at home in the religious system, people who would stare up at the ceiling at night and they know what they've done and they know what they're hiding. It is good news for all people. A Savior has been born to you, who is Christ the Lord. And Luke could kind have of stopped right there to just ask this question Hey, with all that you know about your past, with all that you're struggling with right now, with all the doubts you have, the questions that you've carried, the, the, you know, the intellectual struggle that you began to have as a sophomore in college, all of the things that are understandable, with all of that, what if it's true? What if God has done something unique in history? So verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared to the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. People who have no ability to earn God's favor, but God bestows it anyway. And when the angels had left them, they went into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this, and this is so significant, see this thing that has happened. Just real quick, because I I know there's so many backgrounds over this weekend, and you got drugged here and coerced here, and I apologize on behalf of whoever, you know, what shady behavior led you to be here at the two o'clock today, but I'm glad you're here. Here's what I just wanted to tell you. This is so important. We do not follow Jesus because of the Bible. We follow Jesus, those who believe that this is legit and true, because something happened in history. For 300 years, there was no assembled Bible or this this assembly of documents. Simply, God did something in history, anchored it to history. There was overwhelming evidence, documentation, and eyewitnesses. And eventually, it led to the necessity of this library, this documentation of everything that God did. But if God had not done it and anchored it to history, we would not be followers of Jesus. And so Luke says... This isn't about just believing because we need something to get us through difficult times. This is not about having faith in faith, which is how some of you grew up and you had very difficult questions and somebody told you, well, you just need to have faith. Jesus never invites you to just have faith. Jesus invites you to have faith in who he is because of what he did anchored to history because this is an intellectually robust faith and we are invited into following Jesus because of what Jesus did in history. And so Luke says, something happened, which the Lord has told us about, and so they hurried off, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, and they were amazed that it was shepherds who said it to them. And maybe one of the most important verses of the entire Christmas narrative. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Because it's easy for us to lose perspective on this, but who in the world would believe her? And we don't really know, but we assume that she tried to raise Jesus as normally as possible and then one day, 33 years later, she would watch her firstborn son die in the most excruciating, torturous way imaginable. And then she would embrace and be embraced by her resurrected son. And in that moment, she knew without a doubt he was exactly who the angels foretold. He was the savior of the world. But more importantly to that, in that moment to Mary, he was her personal savior. And he wasn't her personal savior simply because she just needed hope and faith in a moment when she was desperate. He became her personal savior in that moment because he didn't just come and live. He didn't just come and die. He came and lived and died in history and then Three days later, historically, walked out of a grave alive. And in that moment, when Mary is embraced by her resurrected son, he becomes her Lord and Savior because his resurrection validated everything he said about his life and everything he said about his death. And in that moment, it became clear that forgiveness through him is possible that this life is not all there is. That everything that Jesus said about one day justice is going to rain down. One day every wrong is going to be made right. One day every tear is going to be wiped away from every single eye. In that moment when she was embraced by her resurrection Savior, it was evidence that your faith and your hope is not in vain. Not because you want to believe it and not because you have enough faith, but because God has done something in history so that you could know. And Luke (laughs) investigated and interviewed eyewitnesses and documented it. But it was a guy by the name of Paul who came along to explain it and explain why it mattered. And here's a one verse summary of why the Christmas story mattered and what the Christmas story meant when Paul said this to a group of Roman Christians in the first century when nothing was going well for them. And Paul writes his summary, but God, this is the story of Christmas, but God demonstrated his own love for us in the most unbelievable way. But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, meaning just translation, street level, when you were at your worst when I was at my worst, when you hadn't cleaned up anything, when you hadn't changed anything, when you were still knee deep in addiction, when you were still carrying the secret, when nothing had changed for you, when you had let them down, when you let yourself down, when you, when me and you were at our worst, Christ died for you knowing in advance what you would do. But he says God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Basically, God sent a baby To grow up to do what we couldn't. And to live the life that we couldn't. And the message that Jesus offered the human race was personal. It wasn't another list. It wasn't the religion you grew up with. It wasn't here's the standard, good luck. What Jesus was offering, the message he was offering was personal. So God had to come personally. Because you know this already, right? Just in regard to life, For God to demonstrate love and for anybody to demonstrate love, it requires sacrifice. In fact, anybody who wants to reveal the level or the depth of their love, they cannot demonstrate that love without sacrifice. Your husband can say that he loves you. Your wife can say that you loves you. Your boyfriend can say that he loves you. Your kids can say that they love you. The only way that you really understand the love of some individual in your life is the willingness on their part to sacrifice. Love must be shown to be known. So how does God, who says that he loves the entire world and has brought something brand new to planet Earth that religion never thought of, never came up with, this is a relationship with a personal savior. How does God, who says he loves the entire world, demonstrate it? The only way would be to come and make a sacrifice that you would know about. Because it wasn't, this is unlike any other religion, because it wasn't enough just to say it. You needed to see it. And the fact that God came through Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life, and then to willingly die a death that he didn't have to die. In that moment, he wasn't just saying this to the world. He was showing the world. He was allowing the world to see it, that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how long you've wandered off, no matter how much you fit into the prodigal category, you have a God that gives you extraordinary worth. You have value. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. The value of thing is determined by the price it brings, and your Savior gave up his life to redeem you and have relationship with you. And so God, in the most unbelievable way, staged a demonstration that could be documented. And just think about this, 2,000 years later, I say this all the time, but you can love Jesus, you can hate Jesus. You can disagree with Jesus. You, think, you can think Jesus is a good teacher, but I don't think he's any more than that. You can, you can frame Jesus however you want, but you can't ignore Jesus. Because right now, in every language, every ethnicity, every continent, in every generation, on this weekend alone, the carpenter from Nazareth, who didn't write a book and didn't travel more than 30 miles from his home, his name is dominating the globe. Because the only way that God could demonstrate great love was through great sacrifice. And so God staged a demonstration of his great love through a great and necessary sacrifice so that the world would know, so that you would know. And so my question to you, and I get it. I have a lot of the same questions. I'm cynical by nature. I don't understand the seeming inconsistencies and I don't know what God's doing here. The experience you had with somebody who represented Jesus that just turned you off to the whole thing. All of the really good reasons that we have, I understand all of them. What if it's true? What if it's true? What if God has done something unique and what if God has done something unique in history? And I get on the front end, on the surface, it, it just looks unbelievable. But as you look at the eyewitness accounts, in terms comparatively of other historical individuals and events is overwhelming. You look at what has been preserved. You look at right now what is happening around the globe. How in the world do you know the name of a 14-year-old maid named Mary? How in the world did this message survive? How in the world is this Jewish carpenter dominating the globe where approximately a third of the world somehow connects him to Savior and Lord? How did that happen? Because on the surface, what seems unbelievable is unbelievably believable. God has done something in history. And this is an invitation. I'll just close with this. I don't know you, many of you. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how badly you've been jacked up by somebody like me who stood on a stage with a mic attached to their head. I don't know what you've experienced in the name of Jesus. I don't know what baggage you're carrying. I don't know how discouraged you are by the emotional just multi-generational stuff that you've carried. I don't know where you're at in terms of maybe a dark night of the soul and you can't see the way forward. I don't know what you struggled with. I don't know the questions that you've had. I don't know who took the knees out from under your faith at 17. I don't know any of those questions. But I'm just telling you, there is a God and he is personal and he is inviting you into a relationship with him. And it doesn't matter what you're carrying, or what you've done, or what you're struggling with in this moment. Because what he did in history was not based on your perfection or your performance. It was based on his. And he lived the perfect life you couldn't. And he died the death that you should have died and I should have died. And then he walked out of a grave once and for all to communicate to the world that this is a demonstration of my love manifest through great sacrifice so that every generation would know. And now you've been invited into a personal relationship. And so all over this house, all over this room, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I get for some of you, this is brand new. For some of you, you don't wanna be here. And I just wanna say this to you. Regardless of whether you ever believe what we believe, You can belong here, and whether you believe this or not, you are loved by a heavenly father whether you believe in him or not. And tonight, I just wanna speak to you because maybe this hasn't been your church experience. This is not what what was told to you as a 21-year-old that felt like you were bumped out of the church, but regardless of whether you ever embrace this message or believe what we believe, you are loved by God, and you can belong in this place even if you never believe. But others in this room, like, this is this is a moment, and I can't really explain it, but this is the moment that's been happening for people for 2,000 years, all over the globe and every generation. That you can hear something 14 times or 44 times, and somehow there's a moment where it just clicks, and your answer to Luke's question, is it true, is a resounding yes. And it doesn't mean you still don't have questions. It doesn't mean that what was done to you doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you didn't have a bad church experience. It doesn't mean that you're still not really wrestling with big questions about life and about God. But you've come to the place in this moment to believe it is true. Jesus really did come. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really did do what I couldn't do. And so in this moment, if that's you, I just wanna lead you in a prayer. as a declaration of trust and what Jesus has done on your behalf. And this prayer does not save you. It's simply your declaration of faith and trust, but right where you are with no, nobody looking around, heads bowed, eyes closed, just out of respect for what God's doing in the hearts of people in this room. I wanna lead you in this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't. And I believe that you died on the cross from my sin, past, present, and future. And I believe three days later, you rose from the dead. And right now, I'm not trusting me any longer. I'm trusting you to forgive me, to save me. One more time, if this is your moment, I think there's no better moment than this weekend to make this transfer of trust. Jesus, I believe that you're God. This is in your own heart, your own mind. I believe that you came and lived the perfect life that I couldn't. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, past, present, future, Three days later, I believe that you rose from the dead. And right now, I'm trusting you to save me and to forgive me. And the scripture says, and I say this all the time, even if you stumble to the finish line of your life, you never beat the addiction. You never outrun the dysfunction. You never clean it up. Your behavior never matches up to where you wanted it to be. You will still stand face-to-face, righteous, Holy, accepted by your heavenly father because it is based on what he has done for you, not what you can do for him. It's called grace. It's good news to all people. And so this is the moment you've made that transfer of trust with nobody looking around. I'm not gonna do anything weird, I promise. Would you just lift up your hand as just just a signifier in your own heart and mind, this is the moment that I am placing my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done for me. Just keep it up for just a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just keep it up for just a second. I just want to acknowledge you. One more time, if this is that moment and there is no greater weekend for this to be your moment to place your faith, your trust in what Jesus has done. One more time, I just just want to ask you to lift up your hand. I'm not going to put a card in your hand. You don't have to do anything with that. But if you want to and want more information, you can take that to the info center or somebody around here. to to just give you more information about this journey. But one more time, and then I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you that we are caught up in what you have been doing for several thousand years, and that is rearranging people's eternity forever by placing their faith and trust in what you've done on our behalf. And I pray that wherever we are tonight, that this would just be a catalyst for what you wanna do for our future. There's some of us who've placed our faith and trust in you a long time ago, but in this moment, we don't see you, we don't hear you. It's easy to think that somehow we're being paid back, that you're apathetic, that you're angry, you're not interested. I pray these moments would be a reminder to us that regardless of what our circumstances shout, you are with us, you are for us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?